0: from highway 401 traveling 45 kilometers an hour it's gourd stelic and brent gunning
1: come on gordo pedal to the metal oh i love it i pray we have uh i, I want these to start leaf station post games i'm getting way too greedy absolutely love uh the, the real kipper introing us uh leaf station brent gunning Gordo stelic uh, alongside me gordo Uh, Can you confirm, are you cruising along at 45 miles per hour or kilometers per hour, or
0: were you at some point today at least? You know, that that, uh, that makes one of us that enjoys these introductions. now. So, I mean, you know, Nick Kiprios, of all things, and we talked about it on air once. I mean, 15 years ago, the last-minute call, because whatever car excuse went on or something like that probably had a thing with, uh, what, what's it called, Little Buddha thing or whatever, or yep. he had to do his water thing, or those purple supplement pills that uh, you don't sleep, whatever, or whatever may be going on. So I call him, being the nice guy, out of my way, to not yet his Rosedale Estates, which I guess he sold, but before that his Leaside Estates, pick him up, then get on the Don Valley Parkway heading to Sportsnet, which was then 401 McCowan. I'm doing this favorite, and only he could complain that I drive too slow. Okay? (laughs) only he And he's exaggerated. He said there were dogs peeing on our car on the wheel while I was driving. I got to tell you, I went through a phase as a youngster who had to pay whatever, you know, you had to pay your own stuff that all of a sudden I didn't get any points against me, but I got three speeding tickets in the span of two years, and I got this nice note saying, oh, you got to fork out another 240 bucks to the insurance company. So ever since then, I've just been a little conscious of not getting caught on radar. So, yeah, Kipper, next time, Uber. Uber, okay?
1: Oh, I love that. It's funny. We're going to talk about about driving tales here quickly. It's like, you know, my wife and I, we've kind of had a schism. She used to drive a lot lately. I've been driving a lot. And I used to be looking at her like, man, you're a little like you're a little crazy behind the wheel. And I actually believe producer Sam McKee once saw her cursing someone out on the streets of Toronto behind the wheel. But now I've been driving more a ton lately. And all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe it's just that DNA that gets in me. I've been a little more crotchety, a little more aggressive. So, uh, yeah, definitely all, all comes to us. But, man, I uh, yeah, well, Kiprio should be a little nicer to you for doing you the favor. But oh, yeah, I also the... never want these jokes to stop. So I'm, I'm well, a little yeah. I'm a little
0: bit torn there, Gordo. Well, one well, of those, he was a regular when I was doing the morning show with Don Landry. And he made some reference because I'd given Bill Waters a ride back from, from Sportsnet. So um, I was dropping him off at the corner of Young and Lawrence because he was going to uh, – meet his wife, and they're going to walk somewhere, what have you. So I guess I, dro- I didn't know what Kipper was talking about. So I dropped Bill off at about, say, 7.30 p.m. So it was getting a little dusky, and he walked across one side. He went across Young, then he was going to go across Lawrence. And I, I guess there's a bunch of guys that hung there that used to swarm. Anyway, Bill looked like the big target. He had the great suit on, looked great. So anyway, they, they basically robbed him. And all they took was his makeup. They thought it was something holding cash, but it was his makeup bag. You know? So anyway, he kind of said, so <laughs> So that's what Kippers busted me. I, dropped, I didn't know. I dropped Bill off, and as I get home, uh, Bill is not so much being mugged but being swarmed. So it's, all, it's always an adventure when you get a ride with me, Brent, just, just so you know.
1: Wow, so, sounds like it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep taking the subway uh, back to my car after games. Uh, you know, even if you're offering Gordo, it sounds like, yeah, there, there's definitely uh, an adventure uh, there. And and man, uh, speaking of adventures, uh, the NHL, certainly in one right now, uh, including the Leafs. You know, not that it changes too much in the immediate immediate picture because we know the Leafs wouldn't be playing games until Monday at least, but more Leafs are, are in the COVID protocol now. So what we're at is... David Camp, Thelia McKayev, Peter Morazic, Rasmus Sandine, Goaltending Coach Steve Briere, TJ Brody, Jack Campbell, Travis Dermott, Sheldon Keefe, Assistant Coach Spencer Carberry, Alex Kerfoot, John Tavares, Wayne Simmons, and Jason Spezza. All those guys are in the COVID protocol right now. I, I think I, I know for myself, at least I kind of expected the numbers to rise. Once you get one case in a team, it, it kind of very rarely sticks at just that. But I mean, not, not surprising news, but definitely jarring to see that many guys uh, ending up on the list.
0: Yeah, well, I think Brandon started with what Calgary experienced, and that was the uh, you know that was the tip of the iceberg a week ago Saturday. Well, it's not that long ago, what, a week ago, so ten days ago, where they went from zero to seventeen cases in like two days, and you're seeing that comparable with the Leafs and, and others, and, and so so the off has been that in in postponing games up till Christmas, um, the players got very little in the last collective bargaining agreement. We know it was the owners looking for a bigger cut of the pie, which is you know what got negotiated at the end of it but one thing they did get was an extra day off around Christmas so the 24th and 25th used to be the two days mandated off but they added the 26th into that for the last whatever number of years so now apparently the trade-off is on the 26th uh, you'll be expected to report to practice but also get the COVID test done then so the 27th when there's a full slate of games there's not these 11th hour surprises hopefully Hopefully, as many of the 32 teams can take off and kind of move forward without the significant incidents that a lot of teams, including the Toronto Maple Leafs, are facing right now.
1: Yeah, and kind of complicating matters just a little bit more with that is that the Leafs' next game, you know, it'd be difficult if it was going to be here to know how many players are going to be out of the protocol, but the fact that they have to go to the States, that next game is is in Columbus, that just makes it kind of one more hurdle to, to jump over there. But, I mean, you know, you and I, we're, we're both playing the waiting game, wait and see uh, what, what happens with that. You know, obviously the NHL is is pretty hot to get this Winter Classic outdoor game in. You know, it's a big kind of marquee day for 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 the league so i think they they'd love to have the league back up and running and not just have it be that one off by then but i mean we'll we'll kind of uh wait wait and see what what happens there again you know this is going to be something that is going to crop its head for the kind of foreseeable future in this league hopefully not quite to this extent but yeah i think this is this is the first time the leafs have really dealt with anything like this you know we've seen other teams uh, you know having having had players in protocol or even got caught by the bug last year you know we obviously know what happened in the Scotian North division with with the Canucks there but the fact that the Leafs are kind of going through this for the first time it just kind of you know for for someone like me who's so focused on this team and, and of course you guys as well it just kind of puts it front of mind of oh wow th- this is what it's like and I, I just again it's just it's a lot of names to, to see on a list
0: well, yeah, and and then the other part we talked yesterday about, and again, this is the league trying to get ahead of things. This isn't the government mandating this, and the one that came up uh, yesterday or the day before, I guess the day before on Sunday, was not uh, crossing over borders, that no American team will come to Canada and vice versa. And I'll tell you, we touched on it yesterday, but, you know, Jesse Pugliarvi, getting him back from Seattle to Edmonton, um, first of all, it required a very forgiving Canadian Customs immigration agent because he's not a Canadian citizen. He's actually Finnish, but they got him back. And then the Carolina Hurricanes had to get Seth Jarvis, Sebastian Aho, and one of their staff uh, from Edmonton, and there 's kind of a and then they picked up some others that were left in minnesota it 's almost like a war thing that you 're leaving people behind and then you pick them up and take them back and yeah there's almost there 's a part of it you don 't really know what happened to get across the border that maybe maybe isn 't exactly the way things are supposed to go. I am glad common sense prevailed in both cases, but you know those were those were the reasons they shut it down. I know talking to uh, Bob McGellicut in Columbus, you remember they played Edmonton last week, and their whole fear was. They played the orders Is are, are we going to get stuck here? Like, I'm playing, and I feel great, but if my test comes up positive, I'm screwed. And now we're staying overnight. They weren't leaving right after the game, so they got tested one more time. So the next day when they left, they could have got a, a positive test, and all of a sudden, are you stuck in Canada for two weeks over Christmas? So that kind of precipitated, precipitated that move, and I, I applaud the NHL and NHLPA. They're try, again, they're trying to get ahead of the curve here, get ahead of the story.
1: Yeah, that that's right. Maybe we ask a few few less questions about how exactly uh, Jesse Pugliarvi uh, got over here and just uh, good for him that, that he was able to do so and uh, and stay safe. Uh, Producer McKee, always always happy to have Sammy with us on the show as he's known in this time slot. You know, I just call him Sam other times of the day, but from three to five, uh, that's who he is. Uh, McKee, is, was it a little jarring to you to see this many Leafs in protocol or you got a thought on Pugliarvi, uh kind of uh, skulking his way over the border? Well, where are we at?
2: Well, Al- At this point, where it seems like the, the variants are running wild all over the world, I mean, the border stuff just seems so... You know, pedest- compared to you know back when we first started this, where the it was way worse in the states and here and there and everywhere. It's bad everywhere. The border stuff to me just seems so inconsequential. Like if they're gonna be like, oh, you can't fly Jesse Puliarvi over to be with his family, or you can't get Seth Jarvis home to be with their family. Like it just seems so stupid to me. They might as well just you know get him home. So at this point of the pandemic, the border stuff seems a little bit overplayed to me. But obviously, with uh, you know two different countries, all that stuff goes into it. But yeah, that would be my thought on it. I think it's if the Leafs are all doing well if they're all kind of you know feeling better towards uh, the 27th or 28th or whenever maybe they can start to open up facilities maybe get some guys back on the ice so i i think the 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 sheer number of guys that are on the list is definitely jarring to look at it there's no doubt but i mean i think the question has to ask how many of them are asymptomatic how many of them are feeling like this how many of them are feeling like that and maybe i mean It's six days away until you know they're supposed to play another game, or seven days away until they're supposed to play another game. Maybe maybe they are all starting to feel a little better, and we can start this season back up. Who knows? But yeah, uh, it was a jarring number, no doubt. Yeah, it
1: was the other the other kind of big piece of COVID news. Again, not really news. We've been basically expecting the announcement to come. I, I believe we're still waiting for it to be become official. But just about all, every insider out there reporting now that that's it. Uh, NHL players not going to the Olympics. NHL Players Association expected to have a, a joint statement either today or or in the coming days. Uh, you know, obviously the person I feel worse for in all of this is me. I've been wanting to see these guys play in a best on best for oh so long, but after that, I my my heart and my mind quickly goes to Steven Stamkos. I believe it was a blood clot in 2014 or a broken leg, one of the two. Obviously, players didn't go in 2018. This was going to be his first shot. And, you know, for a guy who has been such a stalwart in this league, living up to the number one pick, last guy to score 60, all of that, it's just once again kind of missing out on his chance to, to truly represent Canada in a best-on-best. Best. And, you know, obviously we all feel upset to miss the Olympics, but, I mean,
0: that's the guy I am be the most sorry for. Well, you know, and we'll, we're going to talk to Todd Olusko later on. He doesn't share that sentiment. He's biased, of course, because four years ago gave Germany a great chance to show their stuff. But, I, but I'm but i with you about, you know, seeing Connor McDavid with Sidney Crosby and, you know, all that. But I think uh, as we accept and I, I really kept my optimism, I'm still keeping it going, even though there's no reason to, but I am. But, you know, <laughs> but think about, okay, so... It's not good enough for the, the NHL players choose not to go. So it's good enough for Devin Dubnik and Claude Julien and his team. Like all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you know, we're not going to go. You're going to go. And then what about all the other athletes and all the other sports? And and I think I think on the NHL though, it, the issue has come up now that the NHL can flex their muscle that they're allowed now to intercede once something's been done to make the season go awry which it is already with postponed games before that it was strictly up to the players so you know that you can look at that proviso a bit but yeah it's it's uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of gray area about going to the olympics in general and i think now to your point it's a and i hope they do it sooner rather than later if they're going to do it just rip the band-aid off right sam just rip it off and and give us the news and and we'll try to move forward
1: yeah, I mean that that's exactly where where I'm at on that as well. Uh McKee, your mic's off if you're if you're trying to talk there. Uh it's the the uh, the one name I saw that that did want to go from an American perspective. I saw make a little noise about maybe Is Bobby Ryan and you're right Gord like it's weird to say like oh well it's not good enough for the NHL players the health and safety and you know possibly quarantining and yeah why is it okay for other guys but and as much as I want to see NHLers at the Olympics I do think if we get this other tournament that be it the Spangler Cup team that ends up there or you have some guys who are kind of on the tail ends or they're playing in Europe like it is it is kind of a fun story to find yourself watching but yeah it's nothing remotely like anything. Thing if we if we get the NHLers there, and yeah, you're right. Why is it okay for them to to hang out in in quarantine in China if something bad happens? But it's not. Yeah, okay I, the I wonder about
0: Ovi. I wonder about Ovi. He hasn't mm-hmm. said anything. He's the guy that was always been quite you know said I don't care, I'm going right. He said that before other years, and uh, this would probably be his last kick at it. And I wonder if uh, uh, some of the you know we're looking we're we're looking inwardly at Canada and the United States, but I wonder because that's what they grew up dreaming of winning Olympic medals. If there if there might be. You know, uh, uh, a different motivation, or there might be a, a, a different thinking from people like Alexander Ovechkin. I don't know, I haven't heard anything like that, but I'm just curious. It's funny, you say you say Ovechkin's
1: last kick at it. You're you're right, it should be. But I also see a world where sixty year old Alex Ovechkin is a player coach for Russia and still has himself out on that first power play at the top of the circles. Like I just I refuse to believe he's ever gonna stop. Like I thought he would have slowed down, I thought he would have been racking up twenty some odd goals a season, and he's already at twenty some odd goals this year. Like we've we've talked about it again and again and again, but it's just it's amazing how much he's been able to to turn back the clock. You know, I know our, our, our producer threw out the idea of let's kind of look at some of the you know actual fun storylines. We've spent so much time you know on our own show, Real Kipper and Born. They've talked about it a ton with with COVID and everything, and there has been a lot to celebrate in the game. And maybe that's just as good a place to start as any. You know, everyone loves a good milestone chase. Everyone loves a guy trying to chase down history. And, you know, I, I honestly did think it was going to be limping to the finish line with Ovechkin catching Gretzky. And he's still got a ways to go yet, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a guy limping there and hanging on to get 12 goals in his last season so he can pass him. This is a guy who's right there in the heart of the rocket race. He's right there in the Art Ross race. It's it's amazing what, what he's doing at this age and kind of, it'd be one thing if he was strictly a skill guy that you could maybe see him hang on this long but he's always been a physical engaged player as well and it's it's amazing to see him still be that at his advanced age and talking about Ovechkin here Gord
0: yeah, yeah. Now, when you think he's playing at 60, he must play against the team that Putin plays against, right? Cause, uh, yes, Putin exactly. Goes out, yeah, he gets about <laughs> 20 goals against whoever it is, and it's kind of like Donald Trump golfing that believes he wins the championship and, and, and what have you. But, you know, what I love, like, you know, last year, I respect, how can you not respect Patrick Marlowe the player? But it's different when you get a certain milestone by kind of hanging in there. And still, the worst one that bugs me, and every time I see him on TV, and I think he's really good, but he bugs me, is the fact that Brett Favre and the Packers let Michael Stray and get that kind of lame sack. Remember they that? Did. Let him get, like, like, seriously, NFL football, and they gave him the all time sack uh, leaders record, whatever, which was informal because there's guys like Deacon Jones and that that they never kept the kind of records. But man, Ovi, full on, full on. The guy's a physical player. Guy's a horse. He's among the top leaders in hits the last 10 years on top of everything else. And, man, he's, he, he, he proved me wrong. I, I, I wasn't so much writing him off just thinking it was unattainable, like in whatever, but he's gone. And uh, when he doesn't get a goal, it's a story now. And, and, it, and it's, it's, been, it's been wonderful to see, and I've changed my mind. And, and Wayne Gretzky claims that he'll be there and be pleased when uh, Ovi breaks his record. Wayne's a bigger guy than me, but about that particular <laughs> thing anyway. But uh, uh, that's been one of the neat storylines for sure.
1: Yeah, it it hasn't. I mean, it is funny to watch the, like, when it's all, all, all said and done, when Ovechkin finally, one one day, (laughs) hangs up the skates, is that his career highlight reel, it is going to be a ton of blasts from the top of the left circle. If it's a 10-minute video, I'm sure it'll be eight minutes of that. But there is going to be a big chunk of that highlight reel or his tribute video that he gets one day in Washington when he eventually retires that is going to be him laying guys out. Like he had a hit, I think it was on Steve Downey or D McCammon, one of the two early on in his career running behind the boards in Ottawa. And it's just, he had so many of those moments. And for a guy who's the, you know, potentially almost certainly will go down as the all-time leading goal scorer in the league. The fact that he could kind of dish it out, not nearly as often, but kind of to the level of a Scott Stevens or a Chris Prong or one of these big hitters that we think of. It's just, it's incredible. So yeah, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to definitely give him his due this season because I I thought once once all the COVID shutdowns started to happen, and once you were getting shortened seasons, I thought that was the end of it. So I, I thought that was the end of it. And I honestly didn't think we would, didn't think we'd see him get here, but but here he is. McKee, yeah, what, and, do you, uh, uh, what do you
2: got on that? What, what I had it as one of my takeaways as well, uh, when it comes to Alexander Ovechkin, uh, the first half of the season. The thing that blows me away is that he's now become a disher. I guess now that uh, Baxter missed the first bit of the season, he feels his need to be the the playmaker. But how many times have you seen at this point of the season, Alex Ovechkin have more assists than he has goals? It's pretty remarkable to see what he's been doing with that, too. So uh, when you talk about, when you talk about uh, Ovechkin hits the first one that comes to mind is on Yager at the Olympics Yep. Uh, when they were playing the Czech Republic and he caught him over the center of the ice and actually Evgeny Melkin picked up the puck and went down and scored like two seconds later so it was a play to separate the the man from the puck and then they ended up scoring on it and it was just a seismic hit I remember he broke Yager's visor on it so I guess that's the kind of moment we're going to not have with him at the Olympics but yeah Ovi is one of my major takeaways and to me we had always talked about it, and I think you guys mentioned We had always talked about it. He needs one or two more big years, and it kind of feels like this is the first of a couple two big years, and uh, he really feels like he's on the way to doing it. So that was one of my takeaways, too, when it came to the first half of the NHL season.
0: Now, I got a guy that's a long way away from Ovi, but Nazem Kadri right now still is fourth place overall in NHL scoring. And, and, and this isn't like, oh, my God, can you believe the Leafs did this? Because actually um, Jack Campbell is about as good a trade as anybody made getting a, a backup goaltender who's been a great number one goaltender and great value. But, you know, it's just funny all these different things with John Tavares coming over. And then all those guys being signed, it's, you know, Nazem Kadri, who was actually at a pretty club-friendly ticket. It's the last year of a six-year $4.5 million per deal one, but he got a little too expensive. And also, to be honest, with Tavares and Matthews as your top two centers, um, it was a very, very happy predicament about that. So, anyway, the trade... You know, didn't work out. Kerfoot seems to be coming on, his, coming into his own a bit more. But, I mean, the whole Tyson-Berry thing never got going under Mike Babcock. So, I'm glad to see that, you know, because he was a good soldier here in Toronto. Uh, it's, he's a UFA after this. Whatever it is, again, that he has these ridiculous, unbelievable, inexcusable brain cramps in the playoffs, he did again, yet yeah, with Colorado. And you wondered, you know, uh, about... I I don't know if the word rehabilitates the right word, Brent, but just, okay, oh, my God, like, you know, getting back and being accepted by your team and what have you. Well, he did that and more. When Nathan McKinnon was injured, he more than filled the void. And when McKinnon's back, he's continuing to kick ass. Yeah, it, it, I
1: it, you mentioned the Kerfoot part of that trade, and you know I actually feel like he's really carved out a nice role for himself here in Toronto. The only problem is, is that he's not Nazem an Kadri, and he only makes a million dollars less a year. Like if any, if either of those things were were different, if it was two and a half, if if Kerfoot was on the Nick Ritchie deal, I think we'd all feel kind of a little differently about that trade as a whole. You mentioned the discipline thing in the playoffs. I firmly believe it was a case of a guy just caring too much and knowing what it meant to be a leaf and all of that and then he's a Colorado avalanche or a member of the Colorado avalanche he does the exact same thing in the postseason I couldn't believe it and in terms of timing in in terms of timing his availability or the his ability to hit the open market could not have done it any better this season this is a guy who is in a contract year he is on pace to have far in a way the best year of his career he had back-to-back 30 goal seasons with the Leafs I don't know that he'll actually necessarily get to the 30 goal mark but in terms of what he's put up as assists, uh his career high entering this year was 30 he's already got 27 assists this season like it is incredible what what Kadri's been able to do and I think that no matter how people feel about the trade no one's ever going to forget how they feel about that guy in this town an absolute an absolute
2: fan favorite thing that's crazy about him is that he came back and to Toronto and scored two goals against the Leafs but you know it's i guess it's a it's a kind of where we're at with the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2021 2022 is that it didn't matter they lost eight the Colorado Avalanche lost 8-3 but Kadri had two of the goals so i guess he got to have his little you know return here score a couple against the team that traded him but yeah it didn't really matter cuz they lost 8-3 but yeah happy for Naz he was one of my favorite leafs when he was here um i always respected uh, i'll put it the passion in the playoffs <laughs> going after was it Jake DeBrusque that he cross checked in the face cuz he went after yep. Marlowe? was that who it was at DeBrusque, and then Wingles the one year. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Okay, so there you go. I respect the passion. He couldn't really contain himself. The guy always played on the edge. He went over it a couple times badly here, and then he did it again in Colorado. But yeah, really happy to see him having a big year, and boy, he is going to be rich this offseason because, you know, you think about the type of guys that Every team covets, and it's sort of dudes in that Tom Wilson type. And listen, I'm not going to say he's the same kind of player as Tom Wilson, but he plays with that kind of edge. He has the ability to score. Obviously, I really think he's going to be a coveted guy that, uh, this off season, and he's earned it because he played on a big time discount for a long time because of that contract Lou gave him.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, tough for tough for him. It's still not a great UFA world, and not, especially for forwards, it just seems to be. But I, I agree, though, Sam. I, I wish him. Uh, I, I wish them all the best. And it's funny, those those brain cramps with the Leafs, like it, it created this impression that they're not tough enough because of what Nazem Kadri had to do. And, you know, you look at the, Mar- the hit on Marner, like, okay, great, you know, coming to the aid of your teammate, but Marner can handle himself, right? That's the thing, and that's the kind of team that, you know, Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas are, are the architects of is, you know, one that, okay, what their toughness is, try to keep up with us. You know, try to catch. Try to try to do what Patrick Kane does so well. Just exhaust you. Okay, that's the kind of toughness. You know, it's different, Ellis. So, so Naz stepping over it was no. We didn't. We didn't need you to do that. Okay, and uh, I know. You know, once Matt Martin was there and they brought him in uh, to try to provide some toughness and and what have you. But it, I think it's. I think it's given an in, improper perception, uh, I believe anyway, about a lack of toughness within the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm not saying you know, they're the toughest team in the NHL, but I do think you know, they're tougher than people gave them credit for back then, and they have, with Simmons and a few others, added, added some grit, which you, can never, which you can never be short of.
2: For sure. So do you guys want another quick takeaway before we, uh, before we get to Frank? I'd love one. I this is more this is less positive and it's more about covid stuff but I really think the Islanders got screwed pretty bad when it comes to the covid situation because you know they were one of the main they were one of the first teams that really got hit with it the sharks I think early on in the season I remember got hit with it pretty badly but then they really made the New York Islanders play a lot of games where they were extremely shorthanded and it contributed to that brutal losing streak. I mean, you remember that game that the Leafs went in there on the Sunday night? Was it the Sunday night, right? Yep. And they were just awful. They had no real threat on the back end, on the front end. They just looked really, really you know, shorthanded because they were because of COVID. And that was before they were really postponing games. They eventually ended up postponing a few of their games. But there was a moment there where they were really, really hurt by the non-postponements. And I think now that you look back on it, in the sort of scope that the whole season has kind of been paused, I really think the Islanders, who are a good team and a playoff sort of you know fringe contender, really got screwed out of a good year in their new building. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but well, I, I, and, I think they got you know, a they got a beef. And
0: I gotta I gotta love that Barry trots, and he shows why he's wearing a Stanley Cup ring on Sunday. You know they they had two points and uh, Vegas tied it late uh, with the last minute of play and then won it in a shootout and Robin Leonard's return to Long Island. And Barry Trot just said, look, we just got to try to forge ahead and play games. I, I agree with what the NHL's doing. And, you know, and, and they never complain about injuries or, or the situation because you're right, it's kind of because the Sharks, the Sharks rode it out well. And Carolina did a really good job too recently that I, I think, um, you know, the NHL, uh, kind of gave it a bit more give than they're giving it now as far as numbers being out. Ottawa was another team that was impacted that way. And, and yeah, the Islanders, I know some Islander fans were complaining why weren't some games postponed earlier, but, um, but they didn't. And uh, certainly it's not Barry Trotz is not one to complain. He knows he's got a big hole that he's got to help try to help coach his team out of.
1: The Islanders fans were complaining. I, for
2: one, am shocked. Shocked. I've never heard that. This is why I was hesitant to bring it up because I didn't want them to have something to hear and be like, yeah, you're right, because I can't really stand the Islanders and their fans. But, yeah, you know what?
1: I had to say it. What it what it felt like to me with with them was they're a team and again like I was somebody who early on in the whole Lou Era was hesitant to give credit to believe what I was seeing but they're a team that always got the absolute most like they are the picture perfect example of this is more than the sum of their parts you add it all together and there's something completely different than what they are individually and you start to peel off four five six seven pieces of that machine and a team that isn't built on having just one or two high-end guys kind of carry them. Yes, Barzal can kind of be that guy, but a team like the Islanders, they kinda of always had to rely on being exactly that a team. So you you start rolling American Hockey League players through there. You have guys in in spots in the lineup they're not used to. And it just it kind of felt to me like it was it's it's a team that they needed to play in front of the eight ball. And once they got behind it, and then you throw in the fact that they're on the road, a bunch because of their arena, it's a tough hand to start the season. And I, in my belief, it's just not a team that's built to kind of handle that. There are, there are other groups that can handle, I don't want to say adversity because it's not a, you know, it's not a mental thing that's holding them back. It's just, they don't quite have the horses that some other teams do when they're able to overcome even a team like San Jose, you know, you got Carlson, you got Burns, like there is still Couture. There's still a lot of that high end there. And Not that the Islanders at, but they just don't have as much, especially for a team that's made back-to-back Final Four runs as you would think they would have.
0: Well, you know, there was just one game last night, and Dallas won kind of a four-pointer against Minnesota. So, yeah, they are now eight points back of first-place Minnesota. They're in sixth spot so you know that was a that was a big win for them to try to you know stay in the playoff hunt in the Metropolitan Division to your to our discussion about the Islanders uh, right now Pittsburgh at thirty nine points is ten they're in fourth place ten points ahead of fifth place Columbus the Islanders are seventeen points behind the Pittsburgh Penguins again the four games in hand which always loom there that's a big number but that's seventeen points for the fourth and final playoff spot I know there's a lot of road ahead but wow that is going to be a daunting task yeah it
1: feels it feels kind of like the only the only road for them really getting back in and i'm not ruling this out at all is the nhl having to go to a hyper localized division type schedule again cuz you know they and we'll, we'll talk to frank about this in a minute but who knows what they'll have to do about this let's not talk to frank about it in a minute let's talk to frank about it right now frank saravelli joins us now frank thanks so much for taking some time how are you doing today I'm good. Let's be frank. Let's be frank. Ooh, I like that. Uh, Sounds like a good name for a pod. Uh, In terms of, you know, we're talking about the Islanders here and this this long road they have, but I'm just kind of looking bigger picture at at the schedule. You know, what do we think is going to happen here? Is this the league that is going to do everything in their power and maybe beyond then to get to 82 games? Is there a world where we're looking at, okay, get to something around 60 so you can have some legitimacy? Just what exactly is, is on the table in terms of scheduling for the, for the rest of the season
3: yeah it's a good question I I think everyone is trying to do the best they can to get in all 82 games I don't think to this point with the number of games postponed we're hovering at 50 right around four percent of the season schedule so given the Olympic break and yes there are concerns about building availability and all that comes of that they're going to need to get creative and i think some of the things that i've heard the league has talked about already is potentially you know let's say the leafs are supposed to play the Sens, and it's supposed to be in ottawa but only toronto has the building availability well then they're going to have to play that game in toronto for instance and so um that's one of the potential workarounds um You know, I think they're going to have to do anything they can in order to get all 82 in. They don't want to extend past the regular season end date of April 29th. Um, And so I haven't heard any talk to this point yet of shortening a schedule. Haven't heard any talk to this point about potentially going to a a North Division only schedule. I think those are all sort of last resorts at this point, uh, given what the NHL is facing.
0: So um, when you say let's be frank, let's make it clear, this is no way the being frank talk show connection with Frank D'Angelo Friday nights on TV <laughs> 11, Frank, to be clear, no association? I
3: feel like that's a little bit before my time.
0: Uh, it's actually on now. But anyway, if you saw it, you'll understand later on. Anyway, uh, anyway, he's, uh, he claims the longest-running talk show going on, but that's what it's called, being frank. I'd rather be Frank Saravelli chatting with you. And, I, I, you know, in trying to arrange things, I okay, here's the two things. I think, one, the cross-border thing, because it was Christmas, it was of paramount importance. Nobody got left on the wrong side of the border, correct? So mm-hmm. afterwards, maybe there's an understood risk, whatever that may be that you are a little bit more willing to take given you get out of the holidays. The other part is, like, it's the Boston-Montreal game showed it owners do not want half-empty or half-full or completely empty buildings at all again. I mean, that ship has sailed as far as I think all of them had, And, and that's another thing that could come into play if they have to make decisions about, you know, moving somewhere to somewhere else that they can at least get fans in a building.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point that no one has talked about to this point, which is the revenue aspect of, you know, trying to play as many games as you can with as many fans in them as possible. And I think that's why a lot of these teams were pushing back against, you know, it's easy for fans and and all these epidemiologists experts on Twitter that we constantly see popping up on our feed, shut it down, shut the league down. They need to pause. Well, like, you know, how do you think the Pittsburgh Penguins feel? You know, uh, they had a game later this week. Uh, in what was like could have been one of their biggest gates of the season against the Philadelphia Flyers right before the holiday, that ends up getting postponed. And they're like, well, we're not dealing with a significant outbreak. The Flyers have three players. The Penguins have zero in, in COVID protocol right now. Why are we postponing this game? Um, the holidays, as you mentioned, played a big part in that. Um, part of it was competitive balance. You start to hear players and teams complaining, well, we don't have any games until December 27th. We're going to send our players home early for the break, uh, but we want them to come back early, maybe come back and, and uh, you know practice early in the morning on the 26th, which means you need to be in town uh, on Christmas Day. A lot of players jet back to where uh, their hometown is to spend holiday with their families. Like, this became an issue where you know, then players hear about one team getting out early and they say, well, why does this team get to do that? It becomes an annual, you know, gripe that players have. They're dealing with a CBA, a union. These are designated work days that needed to be negotiated. And then so you add in the fact that, you know, there's a COVID part of this as well with it spreading so quickly, rapid fire through teams that, um, you know, they're in a spot where for health and safety one, for uh, competitive balance, too, that they just had to pull the plug and say, okay, we're going to enter the break early here. Um, and, uh, and I think moving forward, the, the revenue part is going to be a significant part of it. How many games are the Montreal Canadiens going to be playing in their building uh, with no fans or reduced capacity? Everyone's trying to avoid that. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs were shocked when they heard uh, from the provincial government last week, saying, "You know, you've got to reduce to fifty percent, and oh, by the way, you got to do it right now." Yeah, that must have been a
1: fun conversation. In, I mean, we'll stick it to MLSE, but really, ticketing offices across the league. Gee, how do I tell all these people, the, uh, you know, there was supposed to be a home game on, on Thursday. Obviously, it's not going to happen now. Hmm, how do I tell all these people two days before Christmas that half of you aren't coming to the game? How do you split it up? Like, I would not have wanted to had to deal with that. And obviously, again, we all understand it. And we're talking to uh, Frank Cervelli, uh the the uh, hockey insider, and president of hockey content for, for Daily Faceoff. You know, you talk about the economics of it leads me kind of perfectly to, to where I wanted to go next. The salary cap was supposed to creep up. By about a million dollars next year. Teams across the league, you know, the Blues have kind of been the poster child for this a little bit. Have been playing shorthanded because of COVID issues and because of cap issues caused in relation to COVID. At what? And now, now I want to also be clear. This is coming from someone with a bit of a bias, and that I loathe. The salary cap but at what point in time does the league have to say okay we have to do something about an exemption or a waiver or we do bump the cap up just to give teams a little wiggle room like it, it seems to me like the salary cap should be something that makes the league more interesting not that turns us all into accountants and it feels like with the flat cap and covid and all of that it, it seems like that's what we're doing do you do you see any world where going forward the league creates some type of mechanism to to give teams a little more wiggle room so they do don't have to, you know, dress less players or, or play shorthanded?
3: It's going to be hard. I mean, how do you explain doing it after the fact to teams that have had to bend over backwards and play short to this point, like the New York Islanders, uh, like the Carolina Hurricanes? Like, you're dealing with significant outbreaks on your team. And, oh, by the way, you can only dress 10-6 and six tonight. Like, it's been a point of of frustration for general managers that there isn't some sort of exemption that's in place. Um, It's been an issue that's popped up, you know, the conversation, do we need to go back to taxi squads? You know, I I think when you look back to last season and talk to some general managers, they say, well, I, I loved the taxi squad and the idea of it in the beginning. Everyone was clamoring to be on it. But then by the end of the season, the fourth and fifth guys that have barely played are like, get me out of here. Get me off the taxi squad. Even though I'm making NHL money, I'd rather go back in the AHL and play uh, and, by the way, earn my money uh, without uh, escrow. So it became difficult to manage from a personality perspective as well. So I don't know what the right answer is. All I know is that no matter what they do, you're not going to find a way to make everyone happy. Um, you're going to have, if they institute something now, the teams from the beginning complaining, saying, well, why are we playing under a different set of rules? You're going to be dealing with um, a different revenue uh, setup just from a pure HRR split. You know, The more players that you're paying, the more that are on the roster and and on the cap, Um, it it becomes a bigger bill ultimately that you're going to end up having to pay back to owners later because you're further digging into... More of the owner's 50% share. So, all those things factor into it. There's no clean and simple decision in terms of how to make everyone happy. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I wonder, Frank, if
0: the ship has sailed about that possibility because we all know they paid a deep price, a steep price, an entire season loss to get that cap. And it is a hard, hard cap. There's no Larry Bird exemption. There's nothing, and nothing will. Be- be entertained by Gary Bettman or the owners in that regard, because we don't do not even want you know the slightest sign of anything different. But you know, you had you would have thought that okay, maybe just maybe COVID again to say okay, once we come back on the 27th up till say January 31st, uh, if you have to call someone up from the Miners, which is basically a taxi squad, but call them up, then it it doesn't count as a cap hit. Okay, that that seems to be something reasonable, but I think for one reason that you said about already teams like the Islanders have gone through this without that kind of relief, and also Gary Bettman, I mean, he's been entrenched in that position that I I can't see it changing. Well,
3: it's just, you're dealing with owners on the other side that are, are really frustrated with this deal and how it's played out they don't feel like they're being paid back quickly enough for the 1.1 billion dollars that they've loaned players based on how much money they were paid last season in relation to the 50-50 split and and how much revenue owners took in i'm no i know that no one is shedding tears for the billionaires that own these teams but if you carve out an exemption here, and you know we're talking about not a small number of players, there have been 200-plus players, to my count, as I see it on my spreadsheet here, as I sit here and look at it like a dork, 132 uh, players right now active in COVID-19 protocol. If you're funneling players up from the minors, even at a minimum salary, then you're on the roster for 10 days, 2 weeks— that begins to add up in a, in a pretty quick way to say you're, you're now further, you know, if if your player costs are accounting for 57% when it's supposed to be 50, you're now ratcheting that number up another percentage point here and there. It's easy to say, give these teams an exemption, but the math doesn't work out in terms of how owners it just adds to the debt. It, it makes the debt go up instead of the players repay it. So um it's it sounds easy in theory but not simple in execution
1: okay so i i love to complain about the cap as i've said but let's let let me think of a solution here okay No Olympics, which means, once again, we have to go into this long, dark, cold winter without best-on-best hockey. Yeah, I know there's world championships and the world juniors is fun, but I'm talking true, actual best-on-best. There's a players' association where most of the best, oh, actually, all the best players in the world resign. They have a debt that needs to be paid off to the owners before that salary cap starts going up, which, boy, the players would want. Is this the natural home for the creation of a Another World Cup of Hockey type event, and maybe there is a deal to be made there where, hey, the league gets an abundance of the revenue from this, and that helps kind of pay off the debt. This is the kind of, I realize this is the top tier of the league doing work for the entirety of the Players Association, but does something like that make sense, where now there's an impetus to have another World Cup of Hockey where you can have a best-on-best best and you can pump more money in, into the NHL system? Would something like that work to help kind of Uh,
3: eliminate the debt It, it makes sense to me um i think we'd all love to see a best on best tournament even a hasty one plugged plugged into uh the calendar in february the response from the nhl and the pa has been are you kidding it takes 12 to 18 months to pull off a tournament of that magnitude there's no way that we could do it Uh, under these short circumstances and and short timeline. The interesting thing about the 2016 World Cup of Hockey is that money, the entirety of the revenue that was brought in from it was outside the system. It wasn't part of, uh, you know, in terms of HRR or anything like that. The way it was divvied up, the players got their share of it, and then the vast chunk of it ended up going towards the top players that played in the tournament, and the rest of the membership got a small individual check cut for each, each of them uh, that were members at the time. I'd love to see a World Cup of Hockey take hold. Um, you think about soccer and, and how global that game is. Soccer doesn't spend any time thinking about the Olympics. That's not their big tournament. Their big tournament is the World Cup and how important that is um you know to find hockey to 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 take a measurable meaningful step to the point where you don't need the olympics um that'd be a fantastic you know mark of progress for the sport it just feels like we're a long way off and part of it is because of how it's been handled you have a world cup of hockey in 2004 and you don't have another one until 2016 you, you fill it with two teams that aren't countries that uh, aren't likely to be replicated. And then, by the way, you don't do it in any sort of regular cadence to the point where we go from 2016. It's now 2022. We're knocking on the door and we've got nothing planned, nothing even on the books.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. There was there was kind of a Canada Cup energy every four years that uh, kind of fell apart. But I, I agree with you there. It'd be nice to have a little more consistency. And just uh, to be clear, I mean, last week it was Connor McDavid articulating things one day on behalf of the players, then Steven Stamkos just kind of referring to a lot of the things as hearsay and needing to know more information. And then the COVID world just took charge, and that all became a back burner subject. Is is the understanding now? that the official announcement, they're not going to wait, it doesn't matter whether January 10th is a soft deadline or not, that there's some something imminent and it's going to be a co-op announcement?
3: Yes, it's a done deal. Um, that It could come as soon as this evening. Uh, it may wait until tomorrow, but it's happening. It's going to be a joint announcement between the NHL and the PA. I think that was one of the big things from from the league itself was they didn't want to look like the bad guys here. They knew how the reaction and announcement went over back in 2018 when they uh, unilaterally announced that they were not going to Pyeongchang. And players didn't appreciate that then. Um, they've been steadfast for the most part, while some guys have expressed concerns. I think the vast majority of the group up until last week, you know, no one, in a, no measurable. Significant chunk of players were raising their hand saying, I don't want to go. It's one thing to be concerned, it's another thing to say, You're not going. And so they were planning to forge ahead and move forward. And you can tell that there's a number of players that are disappointed, but I think they're resigned to the fact of what's happened in the league. I mentioned the number of players in the COVID protocol list. 24 teams at this point have at least one player. 10 teams this week had shut down their facilities. 50 games postponed, 45 in the last eight days alone. We're talking about almost 5% of the season schedule. The NHL was ready and willing to send players to the Olympics, even though they weren't wild about it because they felt like they had to hold up their end of the bargain. Um, Now that the players are in agreement and see that there's a significant disruption to their own schedule and getting all 82 games in, that they realize that they're fighting an uphill battle and that even if they wanted to push forward, the league was just going to kibosh it and say, look, we're not going regardless. So they've come to their senses. It's going to be a joint announcement, and it'll be coming sooner rather than later. Look at that, the two sides playing
1: nice. Who who thought we'd ever get there? Uh, Frank, thanks so much for the time. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And, and enjoy enjoy your big spreadsheet. You sounded very excited to reference it. <laughs>
3: yeah uh thanks guys I hope you guys both have a great holiday and a Merry Christmas
1: yeah same to you uh there he goes Frank Saravelli uh daily face off hockey insider and president of hockey content man guys got guys have big jobs in some outlets president of hockey content at a place called daily face off uh, that's certainly a lofty title. I am gonna keep banging the drum the I look I would love it if the Olympics could just be. The de facto place where we always have our best on best i think it's great for the game that it's at a institution like the olympics that is matters across all of sport i help i think it helps sell it but this happens far too often where something comes up in the nhl season or the league doesn't want to release the players or the players are unwilling to do what they need it just feels like hockey as a whole needs to come to their senses make it so i have my best on best tournament i don't care if it's once every four years i don't care if it's every other year like ryder cup style just give me something we need to have a world where best on best isn't this thing that people get to see once a generation and we have to cherish it forever gord i mean i'm just i I don't know maybe i'm way too focused on this but i feel like the game of hockey really needs to have a true best on best tournament
0: well i was thinking it really the canada cup and then it was the world cup the last time in 96 but it had a pretty good run from 76 81 like i mean it had uh went from 76 to 96 basically like that and you know it's funny frank mentioned that yeah, you forget in soccer the World Cup is bigger than the Olympics, and and I don't, you you couldn't do that overnight in hockey. But uh, you, you, you're right, you don't have any chance if you don't have any consistency. So uh, I'm certainly all for that. And and by the way, uh, have you have you seen the Being Frank show on Friday nights with Frank D'Amico? I knew what you were talking
1: about. Yes. I did. I did
0: it's, know it's, what you were talking it's about. It's unique.
1: There. It's unique, right? That's a great yes. word for it. Unique. Yes, it's unique,
0: <laughs> right, Sam?
2: Yes. Very unique.
0: Yes. Yes. So. <laughs>
1: so
2: I I love to talk about the 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 World Cup because just today I was sent the World Cup roster from 1996 by one of my good friends and I was sharing it with a few different other friends and I got down the wormhole of watching highlights from that tournament and you look at the names on that team the the lines like you know Primo Lindros, Shanahan, Messier, Lemieux, Gretzky, Linden, Iserman, Sakic, Theo Fleury, Paul Coffey. It's amazing that that team didn't win. And you look, you think about how it happened with Richter, and that's one of my very, very first, you know, very early sports heartbreak memories: is them not winning that tournament. Because I just remember seeing all those names as a kid and being like, "How could any team on planet Earth?" beat this hockey team. This is the greatest assembled <laughs> you know of players that you'd ever imagine. And they lost. They lost, was it three games to the States, I feel like, in the final? Yeah. It was heartbreaking when I was a kid.
0: Well, you know, weird thing was so Lou Lamarella was the GM of course, and Ron Wilson was the coach. And back then I was doing some games, I actually speak of Frank D'Angelo on T V eleven, uh I was co well, I thought um, you were gonna say he was he was doing play by play. I was like what was going yeah. on in this tournament? <laughs> But, uh, yes, there we
1: go. It's That's season it. so- 10
0: of The Being Frank Show, starring so, Frank D'Angelo. I was with Paul Hendrick. We're at a Leaf Anaheim game, and we're there really early. Like, it's early in the year, and we're there because you get there s- stupid early when you're doing TV stuff. And a guy named Tony Tavares was in the media. He was the only guy there in the media. Remember that name was president of the Anaheim Ducks? Yep. So anyway, he's there, and they were very corporate. They were Disney back then, and all that. Like they were, you know, reinventing the wheel and that. And and he he was he was bleeping, pissing and moaning about the fact that his coach missed a chunk of training camp for the World Cup. His coach coached the winning team, Ron <laughs> Wilson was his coach, and he's pissed. That he, like that's how little it resonated that to him that USA won that incredible World Cup back in '96. Wow.
1: For shame. Have some national pride, my goodness! I mean, I'm uh, like, I, oh, I'd no. be upset. I would be well, pissed because I, you know, I didn't like it. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is funny the things we remember because when I think of the World <laughs> Cup or the Canada Cup, one of the things I remember is not from '96. I mean, of course, I remember that team and Lindros and everybody, but I think of when they brought it back in '04, and there was arguably one of the worst trophies in the history of sport it was like that weird yeah. like flower vase looking thing and i just remember mm-hmm. mario holding it and he's looking at it like what what am i supposed to do with this thing it's like <laughs> a third of the size of the stanley cup like it is amazing the things we remember cuz i always remember the great trophy from what it used to be, the half Canada Leaf, and then the kind of weird one they had when it was the World Cup, and then man, uh, that 2004 trophy, uh, it was a weird one. And
0: well, well the other part in 04 was it's kind of like having a death sentence. And you know when your death sentence is? It was like the lockout started right when the World Cup ended. It was it was oh, ridiculous. Right. So you knew it, and you knew that you knew there was no hockey that year. So you're watching this great international tournament with the worst mo- landscape going and mindset, like you're depressed. So it was held under the worst worst atmosphere Sam. You know that 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 so I think that's another reason we got to get it back and get the momentum and energy back.
2: Yeah. I think of Brett Hall from Belleville, Ontario. Didn't he? I forget. There was like a high stick involved in that tournament '96 with him. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to get into it. But anyways, yeah. I've Just remember, Mike Richter. I thought he was the greatest goalie on planet Earth when I was that age. Being like, there's he. He thwarted that unbelievable Team Canada roster. So, and the president of the Leafs now. The was on the top line of that team. It's crazy to think about that. So, anyways, just the little wormhole I went down this morning watching some goals from that tournament. You know. God, they were snapping it around. Pretty good squad that Canada had. Not bad. Uh, not bad. And one
1: day, one day, eventually, you know, some someday, and Connor McDavid maybe 37 when it happens, but one day Canada will play in a best-on-best a best, uh, tournament again. We got some more kind of first half or first quarter observations of the season. We continue. Also, got to head out west, Calgary. They're, they're allowed to have people in the facility? Man, what must that be like for a Canadian team? We'll talk to Eric Francis about that. And before we go, our good buddy, a return from the great Todd Halushko. He'll be back on the airwaves today. All that more. We continue here on Leafs Nation with Brent Gunning and Gord Stellick.